the impossible. Acts chapter 11, if you would go there with me. With men, the Bible says, really, nothing really is possible when it comes to the things that really matter. But with God, all things are possible. And so if we are with God, all things are possible. Uh, You have a potential that is greater than yourself, greater than the circumstance you're in, greater than all of the improbabilities for anything great to happen to you, for you. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Now, I need to set this up. On the day of Pentecost, the church was born. And the believers were Jewish. And all of the languages that you heard, uh, the tongues, the 16 languages that were spoke, spoken on the day of Pentecost, were all Gentile languages, but they were spoken by Jewish believers. And so these, uh, this was a phenomenon. Uh, the church was born, and they preached only to the Jews uh, because they saw Jesus as an extension of the Jewish faith. They, they didn't see that this was for the Gentiles. So their ideas about uh, God reaching the whole world, even though that was prophesied in the Old Testament, was not something that the early followers of Jesus really embraced. Now, they had seen Jesus do some remarkable things, like going through uh, Samaria and ministering to the Samaritan woman. They had seen him do those kinds of things. But for the most part, they did not believe that Christianity was for any other group other than the Jews. So in Acts chapter 11, verse 1, the apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Now the reason that 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 had happened was because of the persecution that took place in Jerusalem and the believers were scattered everywhere and some of them started to share the love of Jesus with non-Jewish people. That's what a Gentile is. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. So these are the apostles, the leaders in Jerusalem. Peter goes out and uh, he meets with this person called Cornelius. And uh, Cornelius has this dream, and somebody by the name of Peter is going to come to him, and and uh, uh, and Cornelius is really searching and seeking for God, and and uh, Peter challenges God, like I can't I can't minister to this person; he's not a Jew. And then God gives him this vision. And uh, so Paul or Peter goes and he ministers to Cornelius. It's in chapter ten. And so this is what came back to the apostles of Jerusalem. You actually went to the home of a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, and you not only went there, you ate with them. Now, that meant that he had food that was not kosher. That's what they're really saying. So that did not meet the Jewish dietary laws. Well, Peter goes and he explains everything to them. And so when you come down to verse 18, so the explanation is in the, uh, between verse 2 and verse 10, and we won't read that. But when they heard this, 
they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So there was a, a, the dawning of a new, a, a new awareness that the gospel of Jesus is for everybody. The gospel of Jesus is for everybody. Repentance that leads to life is for everyone. Everyone. And he calls the church to do what Peter did. And that was to go into the homes, to the places where you'd least likely expect a person to become a follower of Jesus and minister to them the grace of life. There's something I want you to do before the service is over this morning. As we come to our Easter season, which is just two weeks from today, and uh, Joanna describes some of the preparations that are going into this service. I have a little prayer card here for you. I want you to take it. And it says, this Easter season, I commit to pray for, and I want you to put down the name of a person, or if you need to, more space, use the back, for the, and write their names down. And you're committing to pray for them. So that means from now until Easter, you will pray for them. I would like you to, if it is at all possible, unless you're working, or unless your wife is making you stay home and clean the house, even then, that's not a good enough reason. Uh, Marlene never does that to me, so I'll be here. But unless there is some absolutely important reason that you can't be here, I want you to come on Thursday. We're going to take these cards and we're going to have an anointing service and we're going to pray and confess in faith that God is going to do the supernatural in bringing people who you least expect, the Gentiles in this case, to a place of turning their lives around. That's repentance and experiencing the life that comes as a result. Take the person you least expect would become a Christian. Put their name down. Let somebody else's name come to your mind. Put it down. And, and start to believe. And if you put prayer into this, it's not just going to be passing out a little card like it's in your bulletin. We'll give lots of those out next week for you to do it. We'll give lots of them out this Thursday. But if you really pray, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you ask or think. Maybe you've got a child that's not serving God. Maybe a sister, maybe a brother. Maybe, well, I had the most incredibly interesting experience this week. On Thursday, I think it was, or Wednesday, I got this call from my cousin, who I haven't seen for decades. And he calls and he tells me he's living here in Pictou County. He's been here for about three years. And that his mom and dad, who are my, uh, his dad is my mother's youngest brother. And they're here. And they're out on Three Brooks Road someplace. 
And so we're going out there this afternoon. We're going to spend the afternoon and evening with them. Uh, my cousin, his name is Carrie, moved to the Philippines years ago and started a business. I don't even know what the business was, but all we knew is that cousin Carrie was over there in the Philippines. He married a Filipino woman, and they've come to Pictou County to retire. And I, I said to him, why did you come here? And he said, because we were looking for a really nice place where we could retire. And he's retired very, he's quite a bit younger than I am. And, uh, and he's married to a Filipino. Coincidence? I don't think so. Uh, so, he's on our prayer list. And we're going to pray that God will do a miracle in his life. We'll invite them to the Easter services. And so this is a God appointment that's happening today most unexpectedly. Absolutely unexpectedly. God will do that to you or for you. Bring people and circumstances to your life that you least expect. And I want you to not just hear a sermon this morning, but I want you to hear the heartbeat of Holy Spirit calling you to the supernatural to believe for those things that in your natural intellect you don't think could ever happen and see God perform miracles in your life, in your family, and for those you're praying for. Amen. It's We really do need to have that kind of expectant faith. Who would have thought five years ago that the biggest influx of Muslims to the Christian faith would be happening today? The biggest influx in all of history. And no one knows the thousands. It's just incredible, uh, some of the reports. Russ said it's just, it, it's, he was just there for a week. Uh, and he said it's just amazing as he was meeting with pastors and meeting with Christians. Um, just some of the things that are happening. Anyway, I said, will you come to our church at Dallas? And he said he would. It would have to be sometime in May. Well, Acts chapter 19, or 11, rather, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, that's in chapter 7, uh, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. They didn't share the message with the Gentiles because they hadn't caught on yet. Peter had, but not everybody else had. Now, some, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. In other words, Gentiles, people who weren't Jews. Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Third, uh, the only two larger cities were Rome and Alexandria and Egypt. It was a city of uh, approximately 300 to 500,000 people. No one knows the exact amount, which in an, for an ancient city was huge. It was a city where it was really co cosmopolitan. It, it was a city of commerce. It was a city of sports. And it was a city of entertainment. 
it was the place to go. Uh, some of you years ago might have seen the movie Ben-Hur. Anybody, if you didn't see it, you know what it's about? Well, that was Antioch. That was filmed. That, uh, that was the, the historic setting was the city of Antioch. Uh, it's in present-day Turkey right now, in the southern part of Turkey. It's uh, far north of, of Israel, uh, up into that area. It borders on Iraq, and it borders on Syria. Actually, it was, in ancient times, um, the, the, uh, the, the main city of Syria, of, of ancient Syria. Uh, it was referred to as, as the Queen of the East. It worship the primary worship uh, of this was Apollo, and Apollo was a Greek god who was known for truth and prophecy. So if you needed to know the future, you'd go to Apollo and you'd pray. And it was also the city of Daphne, a, a, a goddess in Greek mythology. Now, uh, not too far from, from Antioch was a place called, um, became known as Daphne of Antioch. And it was a place of worship. There was a huge temple there. And it was a place of sexual immorality. They didn't consider it immorality, but it was, it was Las Vegas five times over. Because people would go to the temple, they would have sex with a temple prostitute, and the idea was, uh, for a man, if you had a sexual relationship with a woman, it made you feel good, and if you felt good, you'd be better able to worship God. It was terrible degradation to women. A lot of them were slaves that were brought there. Uh, it was um, just a, a terrible place in terms of what we understand to be human dignity, human value, human worth. And it was in that city where the gospel went. The least likely city where there was rich, rich people, all kinds of sporting events. There was all of this pleasure. This was a, this was a, a, a buzzing city. And yet the gospel prospered there incredibly, amazingly so. Now, in verse 22, we see that news of this, now by that it means the Gentiles receiving the gospel, reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, Barnabas is mentioned uh, in the early church in Acts chapter 2, and he's, he's known as the son of encouragement. Um, Barnabas was a guy that the people trusted, the leaders trusted. And they said, if we could send anybody to Antioch to, have a, 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 to gain a good perspective of the city and the church, this is our guy. So it was several days' journey. It was, it was a, a long trip from Jerusalem up to Antioch, moving, going north. And it says that when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. Now, what is the grace of God? Well, you've got to consider the setting. First of all, these were Gentiles. 
the idea that they could even be Christians. So the grace of God went beyond their preconceived ideas of what God could or could not do. The grace of God took them beyond what their faith construct was and moved them into something greater, something far beyond. Not denying their construct, but adding to it because of what Jesus had done. The grace of God wants to do that for all of us. More important than that, though, was that the grace of God had empowered these people. It had empowered the, those who came into the city and started to share the gospel. It had empowered them to have the kind of witness that would cause Gentiles to be converted. And Antioch was a city of, uh, there were Jews in Antioch. There were uh, people of various uh, types of, of origins, uh, Gentile or, origins, um, at the time, uh, very close to Turkey, there was there were Syrians there. There, there just so it was a, a mixed city, and the grace of God was able to reach every part of the population. Imagine men no longer going to the temple to have sex with a temple prostitute, and yet this had been their custom. And their lives turning around, changing. So that where they, were, they had become abusers, where they had been abusers of women, they now started to recognize the value and the dignity of every person. This was the grace of God. And it empowered them to change. It empowered them to become a people they had not been, regardless of what their ethnicity was. That's the grace of God. And Barnabas... When he went there, he recognized it. He saw it for what it was. Now, it says that uh, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man. Do you know that the only reference to a good man in the entire book of Acts is in reference to Barnabas? Others would be referred to as righteous men. They'd be apostles, followers of the Lord. The only man ever referred to as a good man was Barnabas. But later on, as Paul, who was with Barnabas, who eventually came there to be with Barnabas, he started to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is goodness. And so what we see in Barnabas we can see in our own lives and in the church today because of the fruit, the empowerment of the Spirit of God bringing the grace of God into our lives. He was, he was full of faith. Well, that must mean he was full of faith in Jesus. Well, yeah, that meant it, but there was much more than that. He was full of faith that God could actually do in these Gentiles' lives what he was observing he had done. He was believing for the best in people that nobody else would believe in. He was believing that God could take the person who was going down there to those temp that temple where there was prostitution and sin and degradation and all of that, and he believed that God could change them and make them a child of God. He had faith to believe in the best for people. 
And he calls us to do the same. To take the person you least expect become a Christian and start to pray for them and believe for them and to do whatever you can to win them to the Lord. Well, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says. He was a man of faith. He was a man of full of the Holy Spirit. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So Barnabas himself added to what the others were already doing, and he was bringing all kinds of people to Christ. And the church was blooming. <laughs> it was mushrooming. And Barnabas came to the place and said, I can't do this by myself anymore. Not that he didn't have other help, but he needed someone who could come along his side with him who had an apostolic calling and anointing. And uh, it says in verse 25, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, Tarsus was not that far away from Antioch. It was, uh, you'd have to travel a little bit north and a little bit west, uh, a few hundred kilometers, but not that far. And he was able to find Saul. And uh, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught Great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christians at Antioch. Now, Saul had had this remarkable conversion, and afterwards he left after the persecution that was in Jerusalem, because uh, he had been there and he was subject to that. They tried to kill him. Uh, he went back to Tarsus to his home, and he stayed there for about 10 years. People had heard about his conversion, but basically he was just kind of way off there. And of course, back in those days, they didn't have the communication networks we have today. So if you were down in Jerusalem or in some places, you might be here, little, little snippets or little trickles of information would come to you, but, but not a great deal. So Tarsus is basically up there by himself, alone. In a sense... Though he had that great encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, he was kind of a nobody in the church. But Barnabas remembered him and went and sought him out. And friends, this morning, I believe that there are people like Saul right here today. You feel like you're not really important. That the call of God in your life has somehow been suppressed because of the things you've been through. and You need a Barnabas. Maybe you need to be a Barnabas to somebody. To seek them out. And say, come with me. Because there's work to do. And so, they were there for a whole year, and they were called Christians at Antioch. Now, the, the Christians didn't call themselves Christians. The people who were from Antioch called them Christians. In fact, nowhere else in the New Testament do you ever hear that the Christians called themselves Christians. The only time you ever hear this word is in this text. Uh, they, at, up to this time, they had been called people of the way. 
uh, the disciples of the Lord, the holy ones, the believers, all these different names, but not Christians. Now, there was an important reason for this. Now, the, the word Christian simply means a follower of Jesus. You can even say a, a Christ-anointed one, someone who is like Jesus. If you see that person, you've seen Jesus. That's what it really meant. Now, in the Roman Empire, you were allowed to have to stay in whatever religion you had been born into. And so the Jews got along well with the Romans. The Romans didn't try to wipe out the Jewish faith. They were a part of what was acceptable religious practice in the Roman Empire. But any new religion that came along was considered a sect, subject to persecution. And so by calling them Christians, they were really saying they're not Jews. They're not anybody else. They are this sect, this group, which meant then that the Christians were subjected to persecution they would never have been subjected to if they were called Jews or some other religion. So this meant that, now it's not that they were embarrassed to be called Christians, they were already under severe persecution, but this just added to that reality. If you come into, uh, actually it's not till the second century that uh, the church really started to refer to themselves the way that everybody else was referring to them, and that is Christian. So Christian was not a name that they gave to themselves. It's not a name that God gave them. It's a name that uh, the world gave them. Now, uh, let's move on. Verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the time of Claudius. The disciples, now this is really amazing. The disciples, as each one was able decided to provide help for the brothers and in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now the famine hadn't started yet. It was prophesied. Now remember, no doubt, a lot of these Gentile believers were very well aware that the church in Jerusalem hadn't really accepted them as followers of Christ. It was a big struggle for them. Now, but this prophecy comes. They, were, they had been so sensitized to the word of the Lord that the conditions that surrounded the prophetic word was not what they paid attention to. It was the word of the Lord itself. And so what did they do? Though these were these Jewish believers and leaders in Jerusalem, in fact, there was a, a big thing that happened in chapter 15 where Paul had to go to Jerusalem and con con confront the, the apostles in that city, the main apostles of the church, about the whole idea of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so they were still, but here they are, here these folks are in Antioch, 
Many of them were wealthy because it was a wealthy city. The church had mushroomed. It had grown to a size that we really don't know. But many were added. And so, and so there was this church of many, and they get a word from God about something that will happen in the future, and they respond to it in the present in order to prepare for the future. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? The Bible tells us in the last day God will pour out a spirit on all flesh. We need to, in the present, prepare for that eventuality, knowing that it'll happen, knowing that it already is happening, knowing that you're seeing it amazingly happen right now in Muslim countries. So they take up an offering. They take up an offering for people they have never seen. We'll be doing that at the end of the service. For Muslim students in a Muslim university who will probably never see. There are so many calls today for world missions to reach out beyond ourselves. I look at our church and I think, oh, we need a new roof. Oh, we need this and we need that. And we, we have a budget of around $300,000, but we were talking this week, if we had 500000 And I've been saying to the elders, we need to pray for financial breakthrough because the response the word of God and the revival is always connected in some way to giving. There's always a connection to the, to the willingness of God's people to sacrifice and to give. There's always a connection between that and what God is doing. Or in this case, what he was going to do. So, um, you go back to chapter 4 of Acts, verse 32, verse 36. It says that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Notice the correlation between giving and great power and sharing the gospel message of the resurrection. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them uh, in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. Far for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So here is a guy <laughs> who believes that what God will do in the future, it's not like, God, if I'll do this, will you do that? But he just knew that connected with the fulfillment of the promises of God was his willingness to give. So he sold a field took the proceeds, laid it at the apostles' feet. And something about that made him stand out. Other people were doing the same, but he stood out. He was an encourager, a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with faith, filled with goodness, 
A man who saw the grace of God when nobody else saw it. And it all goes back to this willingness of this man to give. Now, time went on. I'm going to close this with this last scripture. Time went on. And uh, Paul thinks, i got to get up to Jerusalem. I've got to talk to the disciples, the apostles, the other leaders. I've got to make sure I'm not off on my own somewhere in some tangent. I need to be able to... Um, I need to be able to submit myself to these other leaders. And so he describes this in the book of Galatians. And you read the first chapter, all the different things that it says. Um, and then it says, uh, chapter 1, chapter 2. So James, this is verses 9 and 10 of Galatians. James, Cephas, or Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. So the leaders of the church came to recognize that the gospel wasn't just for Jews, it was for everybody. And so he, he says to them, okay, is there something that we're, we should be doing that we haven't been doing and we just want to submit ourselves to you? And here's what they said. All, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they, and they to the circumcisers of the Jews. And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along, all along. So when it comes right down to it, what is it that God asks us to do? It's not like we pay for things uh, with our money, with our tithes, with our offerings. But do we have that spirit? If I've got this thing in my yard or in my backyard or in my basement or I've got this piece of property that I don't really use, is it better for me just to hold on to it or to sell it and give it to the kingdom of God for the work of the church, for the work of the souls of men and women who need to be saved? That's the spirit that is so missing in the church today. We've lost that sense of identity and community that functioned to the degree that we see function in the church when it was first established. Peter, James, John, you guys have been around longer than I have. I've a guy, I'm a guy that cursed the church. I cursed Jesus. I sentenced many Christians to death. I spent 10 years up there in Tarsus and I was receiving revelation from the Lord, but for the most part I was all alone. Then I was called by Barnabas to come with him to the city of Antioch. And I started to see how God was using him to minister to the Gentiles. That's what he had said to me on the Damascus Road when that light shone from heaven. You are a chosen vessel to go to the Gentiles. And he said, I, all this was going on and it's been happening. And, and now, guys, I just need to know what you think. You've been around a lot longer than I have. I'm the new kid on the block. Tell me, uh, is it okay for me to do what I'm doing? And they said, and is there anything you need to tell me that I should... And, and they said, Paul, you're doing the right thing. 
we've come to recognize that the grace of God is for the whole world. The only thing we say is don't stop being a giver. And Paul said, well, that's something he was already eager and determined to do. Church, I just pray that a whole new spirit of giving will come upon this church. That if you're not tithing, you'll start tithing. If you haven't been sacrificing when it comes to, and we're not trying to impoverish the church, and if you're here for the first time and think, what kind of a, a place is this? This is not uh, some way of leveraging money. It's calling us to fulfill the purposes of God in this generation and to believe that we've got all things are possible. I would like, uh, Joanna, if you would take some of these and start to distribute them. Uh, maybe, Graham, you could take some, get a couple of people to help you on this side. Um, yeah, okay. Um, Jordan, um, do you want to give some help? Some start from the front, go to the back. I'd like you to, uh, I'd like to you start praying right where you are right now. Would you do it? Lord, whose name should be on this list? Who should I put here? I want you to put that in your Bible or your pocket or your purse or someplace. And put as many names. And maybe when you go home, you'll think, oh, I really need to be praying for that person. And you're going to find a way some, uh, somehow between now and Easter, which is only two weeks away, to invite them to the Good Friday Supper, to invite them to the service, to invite them to the Sunday morning service, to befriend them, to talk to them, to in some way, and it might be family member. It might be somebody you work with. It might be a neighbor. It could be anybody. But believe God for the impossible. Believe God for the impossible. Are you, are you hearing that call this morning? Are you? It's not the call of Bruce Morrison. It's the call of the Holy Spirit. Raise your hand if you're with me on this. I, 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 yes, I believe. Yes, I believe. And, and put that name down there and don't for a moment think that God can't answer your prayer. Don't think that for a moment, because he can. Put down the hardest case you can think of. Put down family members. Maybe people are really, really great people, and they really don't, you know, but they just don't know Jesus. Put their name down. And uh, then will you come on Thursday night? I'm going to say, uh, Bruce, I'll do everything I possibly can to be here Thursday night to be a part of, of of a real Holy Spirit-led prayer meeting. Come on, raise your hand if you can do it. Okay, good, good, good. That's good. Daryl, come and uh, lead us in that song, Good, Good Father.